Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us here at South City Church. We're so glad that you've chosen to watch us. I know we're all kind of quarantined at home, but man, it means so much that you would take the time to uh, join us and our family as we celebrate this amazing day of Easter and Jesus rising from the tomb. What a beautiful time to celebrate as the body of Christ together. Hey, listen, we got to do this every Easter. I say, Christ is risen. And when I say that, I want you at home to say, Christ is risen indeed. All right, I know you may be in your PJs, you may just be chilling, but this will be an awesome moment. You ready? Here we go. Christ is risen. Amen. Christ is risen indeed, and we are here to celebrate that fact together. Hey, listen, we pray that, that today as you're watching the service, just engage with us. Worship with us when we worship. Open your Bible and, and get into God's Word with us as we try to understand what He wants to say to us about loving like Jesus and then also engage online. Feel free to, to type some comments. Let us know that you're here. Like our page. And just engage with our family as you're online with us watching today. Happy Easter. We're so glad that you're here. I want to pray for us. Uh, before we do, I also just want to mention as part of our worship, uh, continue to give as part of your worship. You'll see the slide here that just talks about how different ways that you can give and that can be part of your worship today. But I want to pray for us mainly that God would help us to focus our hearts and our minds on him as we have this time of worship, separate but together. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for what it means to us as your church. I pray that you bless our time of worship, bless our time together, God, as we, as we look into your word, as we enjoy, God, what you've done for us. We can never thank you enough. And today we celebrate the fact that you have given us not only forgiveness of our sins through the cross, but you have given us victory in life and over death itself. And so, Lord, we celebrate you as our risen king today. We love you, and we give you this time of worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Worship with us.
is an overcomer. There's nothing we've gone through that he can't help us. Now the darkness fades into new beginnings as we lift our eyes to the hope beyond. Our creation waits with that expectation
Jesus said that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He said the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. But in order to love our neighbor as ourselves, we have to see them as ourselves. We have to see them as imperfect people, people with great need. You know, Jesus kind of upped the ante when he began to speak to his disciples just before his death in John 15. He said, don't just love your neighbors yourself. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. And then he goes on to sort of define his kind of love when he says, there's no greater love than one would lay his life down for his friends. You know, if you're a Christ follower, then you've experienced that kind of love. We know that Jesus gave his life for us. He laid his life down. He gave it all so that we could know his salvation, his redemption, forgiveness of our sins. You know, when I think about the kind of love Jesus is talking about, it's a sacrificial love. And when I think about that right now in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic, I can't help but think about the heroes that are emerging in our society, in our country, and all around the world. Doctors and nurses who are serving tirelessly, shift after shift. Grocery store clerks who are restocking shelves and truck drivers who are bringing those supplies to the store. They're our heroes. And clearly in this moment, they're the ones we need. And they are serving us and loving us like Jesus, sacrificially. That's what we need to be. That's what we need to learn in this moment. Learn to love people like Jesus. I'm a pediatric nurse here in Little Rock. I'm an EMT and an ER, uh, specifically at St. Vincent. Little Rock as infirmary. Well, I'm a grocery store clerk, uh, major supermarket. Feelings I'm getting from people, it's kind of all over the place, but the biggest one is that they are seeking reassurance. There's a lot of uh, anxiety on uh, some folks. Uh, I think a crisis magnifies uh, good uh, in people and the worst uh, as well. It's, it's weird. It's uh, kind of eerie right now. Um, we're not allowing anybody to come in, no visitors, no family. So if you were to get sick, your, your wife would not be allowed in. She'd have to either wait in her car or go home and wait for a phone call. There are nurses um, and doctors that are mentally, physically exhausted. And I think that's when it gets very real. Um, we, as healthcare providers, tend to put ourselves last. Um, because it's what we do. We're always gonna take care of anybody that needs us, um, to a fault. Haven't seen my mom in, you know, almost a month now, and haven't seen my sisters even longer since then, and my nieces and nephews, and so, um, just the people that are staying home and just giving up that time with their families and everything, where they could just, you know, say, oh, whatever, I'll, I'll go see them because I haven't seen them in a while and I miss them. They're staying home and they're missing them even more. I'm not really afraid of much. I'm more afraid of, as I think the majority of the healthcare world would say, is taking it home to our family or to someone that is afraid. Most of the time I hadn't really given it that much thought. I mean, I've, I've tried to be conscientious for myself and for others. Maybe that I'm just doing it because I know it needs to be done and I'm doing it without prejudice. Um, and, you know, I see somebody that's hurting, somebody that's sick, and I act, I do, I do my thing. I go take care of them. 
and you don't think twice about it. You don't even think about it. You just do it. I've seen people say, I'll go there so that you don't have to because you're at greater risk than me. Some have worked more, you know, more than others. I'm probably just not gonna use masks, so they're available for the other coworkers that have comorbidities, you know, higher risk factors than me. And honestly, I am a firm believer right now that everybody that stays at home is serving sacrificially. I really do. No disaster can overtake you. No plague can come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Psalm 91, 10 and 11. And that really spoke to me. Good morning again. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate you being with us this morning, and happy Easter. Hey, listen, if uh, you're new to South City, if you've never heard of our church, or maybe this is the first time you've seen something from our services or whatever, man, we're so glad to have you. Uh, I know that we're, we've sort of all been in this COVID-19 quarantine sort of a deal, um, and so we've all been on lockdown, uh, and maybe you'll continue to watch on Sundays as we're still in this, but when this thing is over, we hope that you will come to South City and see us uh, and be a part of our family. We would love for you to partner with us on mission and what God is doing in and through us around Central Arkansas. I can tell you this for sure, that there is not a more loving body of people in Central Arkansas. I can promise you that, and we would love to meet you and get to know you a little bit better. Hey, we've been in a series uh, going through the Great Commission of Jesus, really, in Matthew 22. It's called Neighbor. This is where a, a lawyer came to Jesus and he says, Hey, what's the greatest commandment? You know, there were 613 commandments, but he says, what's the greatest one? And Jesus says, well, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he says, and to love your neighbor, the second commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, so that's kind of what this series has been on. We've talked about the fact that our neighbor can be our family, it can be our community, it can be our city, it can be our coworkers, our enemies, people who don't vote like us, people who don't look like us. Last Sunday, we talked about being sensitive to people's spiritual need and, and, and trying to determine, do people know Jesus or not? And as we serve them and love them and care for them uh, authentically, uh, then we hopefully will have the relational equity to be able to talk to them about Jesus. And it's been a, it's been a good series as we've talked about what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves, no matter who that neighbor is that we run into. Uh, but that commandment, if you will, that, that, that commandment that Jesus began to talk about, that great commandment, both come from the Old Testament. They're sort of old commandments, if you will. In fact, um, the first part, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, it comes from Deuteronomy, and to love your neighbors yourself comes from Leviticus. And so Jesus pulls these from the Old Testament to say, this is the most important two things that we can do as believers in Jesus. But what's interesting is later in Jesus' life and in his ministry, he tells his disciples 
I'm giving you a new commandment. Well, you can imagine his disciples perking up like a new commandment. Like, what does that mean? Because the real reality is the only person who gives commands and commandments are God. And so, yes, Jesus is making the statement, I'm giving you a new commandment. He is, in fact, saying, I am Messiah. I am God, and I am the appointed and anointed one uh, to be here. And I want to give you this commandment. And that's what we're going to talk about today, uh, what that new commandment is, how it affects our lives. But before I get into the text, we're going to be reading out of John 13 this morning. But before we get there, I want to kind of give you some context on the scene. As you know, this has been Holy Week this week. And uh, every single day we have in Scripture some different things that are going on in Jesus' life and ministry. You can imagine how important this moment is to Jesus and the disciples, especially to Jesus, because he knows that he only has a couple of days to live. He knows that in this moment, he's got to say all the things that he wants to say, make sure that he is, he's given the instructions that he wants to give, and it's just a very important time. And so you can imagine all that he's wanting to accomplish uh, with these men. At the beginning of chapter 13, uh, the Bible tells us that, that Jesus realizes and knows that his hour has come. He knows this is the moment, right? Uh, we talked even last week, and we talked about it, about it quite a bit, the fact that before the beginning of time, before the world was created, that the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, came up with this narrative, this story, that Jesus would be our redemption. The Bible says in Revelation that Jesus is the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. So imagine that moment, and now thousands and thousands of years have passed to this moment at the Last Supper, and Jesus is, he knows that this is the moment. He knows that he has entered his appointed time. This is a serious moment. You think that he might stand up and give a great speech, tell someone to take notes, or whatever the case may be, but that's not what he does. He does something actually pretty provocative, pretty in interesting. He, he pushes away from the table, he wraps a towel around his waist, and he begins to wash the dirty feet of his disciples. Now the thing about first century feet that are a little different than ours are that the roads weren't paved. These were dusty roads, muddy roads. These were sailors to begin with. And so Jesus, the creator and maker of those feet, is now going to humble himself on his hands and knees. And he's going to wash the feet of his disciples. So after he does this, who knows how long this takes? Does it take 30 minutes? Does it take an hour to wash 12 people's feet? And, and remember, he's even washing Judas' feet. That, that's the person that's going to betray him. And yet, knowing he's about to betray him, he still washes his feet. The humility, the sacrifice, the love that we see exemplified by our Savior in this moment is breathtaking. Well, he gets up from doing that. He gets back to the table. And he wants to basically tell everybody, hey, one of you has betrayed me. And of course, everybody's freaking out going, who, who could it be? The Bible story tells us that John has leaned back against Jesus and that Jesus sort of whispers to John when John says, Master, who is it? And Jesus says, well, it's, it's the one that I dip my bread with. And Jesus evidently takes his bread and dips in the same bowl with Judas. So at that moment, can you imagine what's going through Judas's mind? It was sort of whispered to, to, to John. The way we know that is because a little bit later, Judas gets up to leave. The Bible says that Satan entered Judas and he left. 
And the rest of the disciples thought that he was leaving to just basically go buy supplies for Passover or do something that they needed him to do because he was the one that carried the money bag. But not John. John knew what was going on. John knew in that moment Judas is the betrayer of the Savior. And now all these memories are coming back to Judas like, yeah, I remember when, uh, coming back to John and when he said, I remember when, when, when Judas had a problem with Mary washing Jesus' feet and pouring the oil over his head and he had a problem with how expensive that was. And I remember different times when the money bag didn't come out the way we thought it might. And he's beginning to realize that Judas has never truly been with Jesus. He's always been a betrayer. And so his mind is just is going 90 to nothing. He can't hardly wrap his brain around what's taking place. But Jesus does this. Judas leaves and Jesus says to the disciples, he says, guys, I'm entering my glory. My glory has come. Uh, my father is being glorified. I'm now being glorified. He's speaking about his appointed time. And then he says something that, that, that gets their attention when he says, I'm being glorified and I'm leaving. I'm going away. Well, that would have been a big deal because for three years, these men had followed Jesus every single place that he went. Every single place he went, when they laid down at night, when they went from here to there, they were always with Jesus. In fact, that's the reason they're called disciples. Back in that day when you had a teacher that would go around and teach, if he had people that followed him, they would say, well, that's Jesus' disciples, or that was John the Baptist. Those are his disciples. They follow him. So now the disciples are going, where do we go? We've always just followed you. How will people know that we're your disciples? And Jesus is saying, there's going to have to be a new way to be identified as mine. And so this morning with that thought in mind and that context sort of set in place, I want us to look at the scripture together in John chapter 13, verse 3. Would you look with me? It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the disciples have been known as Jesus' disciples because they follow him everywhere up until this point. And Jesus is saying, I'm going somewhere and you cannot follow. I'm going away and you can't come. And he says, in order to be identified as mine, people have to see that you love. And not just love, not even just love like you love yourself, but love the way that I have loved you, that will be how you're identified as mine. Can I just say, as we get into the start of this message this morning, that is my prayer for South City Church. My prayer is that we as a people are marked by our love for one another and people all around us, that we love all people with God's love the way he's loved us. That's my hope and my prayer. Would you pray with me this morning as we get into this message? Father God, thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness. Lord, thank you for the truth and the celebration that is today. We celebrate that you are risen, Lord, and that the very same power that, that raised you from the dead gives us power and victory in our own lives. God, we can never thank you enough for the price that you paid for us, and we celebrate that that price uh, has given us life and that that victory over death in the grave gives us hope, not only for when we die that you will raise us, Lord, to new life, but while we're living this life, living for you, you empower us with the power of the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. God, we love you with all of our hearts, and we pray that right now you would take this word. Father God, by your spirit that you would lead us to all truth. 
Lord, that you would help me to decrease in this time and that you would increase in our hearts and lives and in this study to show us all that you want us to know and teach us all that you'd have us to be. Give us the courage to obey. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So there's a couple of things I want to show us this morning from this story, starting in John chapter 13. Number one, I want you to see that Jesus loved by serving. No question about the fact that Jesus served. This example of washing each other's feet, washing uh, the disciples' feet, this is the first uh, point that I want to make, at least in this story. But Jesus has been serving these men for three years. They know that he is a service-oriented person. You know, I I can't help but think about in this moment in the COVID-19 craziness, the scariness that it's been in our in our country, around the world, um, being quarantined and all this stuff has just been a crazy time. But you heard me say this in the video, I, I still can't get over the kindness and the service and love and sacrifice of the men and women, doctors and nurses, who are walking into the war zone, if you will. They're walking into these hot spots of infection. And they put their uniforms on every single day and they walk into risk and they walk into situations that are unknown um, and, and crazy and difficult. I want you to see that they are the ones that are showing us in this time what it means to love like Jesus. Did you know that 30% of, of the people who have this coronavirus are medical professionals? 30% because they're around it so much. So for them to walk into work every single day is an act of complete heroism and service to us. Here's the reality. If we're going to be Christ followers, we have to learn how to serve like Jesus. How do we serve like Jesus? Well, I want to suggest to you that it begins here, in your heart and in your mind. I want to take a look quickly, if you would, with me in John chapter 13. We'll go back in the story to verse 3, where it says this. He says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. And then the next verse begins to tell us about how he washes their feet. But I want to read this again. I want you to think about what it's saying because sometimes we might read a scripture and just kind of pass over it, but look what it says. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God. This is the point I want to make to you this morning. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew his identity. His confidence was in the fact that he was the son of the living God. He knew who he was. It was out of that place that he began to serve people in need, began to serve the disciples, where he got up from his place and began to give us this example. Can I just tell you, as followers of Christ, that's what we have to do too. We have to know who we are. We have to know where our identity lies. If you're going to serve people, if you're going to wash feet figuratively in our culture, in our communities, if you're going to love people the way Jesus loved us, we got to know who we are. Do you know who you are? Do you know that you're a son or daughter of the king? Do you have the confidence and the obedience to be who God has called you to be, not to worry about what people think? Because can I just tell you, we cannot serve with a spirit of arrogance, that we're too good to do something. I mean, can you imagine the creator of the universe knelt down on his hands and feet and washed the dirty feet that he had created? He was willing to serve in such a way and we're, we're not? Jesus, king of glory, king of heaven, willing to, to do such an act of humility. 
Are we not willing to serve at the lowest level of an organization, at the lowest level of our church, at the lowest level of our home, washing dishes, cleaning toilets, whatever it is called for, how do you serve people regardless of the job that it is? Or what, what, if, what if Jesus in that moment got up and said, guys, I want to teach you about serving humbly, and John is going to give us an example of how to do that. He's going to wash your feet. How many of us as leaders tend to fall into that category? I want to tell you something, and I want you to understand it, but I want somebody else to give the example. I don't want to be the one to do it. That's not what we see Jesus do. We see Jesus himself, knowing who he was, get up, serve these men, wash their feet, and come back to the table and say, I did that as an example for you, so that you would know that if I, the Lord, can wash your feet, then you can wash one another's feet. You can serve one another. Jesus loved by serving, and he's given us this incredible example uh, of washing people's feet that we need to serve in that same way, in obedience to him. And as we do it, people are going to know that we're his because of that willingness to serve in that way. Here's the second thing I want you to know about Jesus and how he loved, right? Jesus loved not only by service, he loved by sacrifice. There's no way you can look at the gospel story and not see Jesus loving us as a sacrifice and loving us with great sacrifice. In fact, that's kind of what the new command is. When Jesus tells his disciples, a new command I give you, I want you to understand this is what the new commandment is. See, the holy and perfect son of God had never come from heaven, had never laid his body down, his life down on a sinner's cross and and taken our place. He's never traded our sinfulness for his holiness and it's never taken place again. This is what's new in the commandment. Jesus is saying, I want you to love people the way I've loved you. And the question begs, well, how has Jesus loved us? Well, he's loved us in such a way that he laid his life down for us. And that's his expectation of us to love others in the same way. Are we willing to love with sacrifice? Are we willing to lay our lives down? No matter what the cost, Jesus goes on and John chapter 15 to kind of give us a little bit more explanation as to what that means. Verse 10 says, if you keep my commands, my commandments, he said, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus is saying, when you obey me, man, I give you joy that you can't imagine. Your joy is going to be full when you obey me. In this next statement, he defines what sacrificial love is. Uh, Verse 12, he says, this is my commandment. Speaking of that new commandment, he says, that you love one another as I have loved you. What does that mean? Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus is saying, there is no greater love. He's saying, you want to know what the pinnacle of the greatest love of all time is? when someone lays his life down for his friends. That is the greatest love that there can ever be. It's incredible love. It's a serving and sacrificial love. And Jesus said, this is what I'm giving you and this is my expectation of how you love other people. The interesting thing is Jesus here is not just telling us to love sacrificially because he he wants his disciples to be a little bit better in how they have relationships. No, Jesus is establishing a community of people. He's establishing, he's creating the church. That's what he said in Matthew 16. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In this moment, he's helping build his church. Jesus has an expectation for his church to be a serving people. 
and to be a sacrificial people. That's the mark of a Christian. Do you know Jesus? If you do, then you should be serving and you should be loving sacrificially. That's what the church needs to be. In fact, that's how we'll be known as his. That's what our main text this morning says, John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's, that's what, what he's told us, how we'll be known, how we'll be identified with him. Can I just say something? You know, talk is cheap right now. It really is. You can't just anymore say, yeah, I'm a Christian. You can't just fill it out on the census. You can't just hang a, a, something on your door and your neighbors go, oh, that guy's a Christian. Can I just tell you, words are cheap. Titles are cheap. People want to see an authentic definition in your life if you call yourself a Christ follower. That's what they need to see. They want to see that your life, how you live, how you love, how you serve is the definition of who you are and whose you are. Uh, I love John Piper. He's one of the guys that I read and listen to and appreciate a lot of his work. And he says that this verse, this comment about a new commandment that Jesus is talking about. Interestingly, the epistle of 1 John, he says it's sort of like a commentary on that verse. Of course, this is the same John that was leaned back against Jesus when Jesus whispered to him that Judas was the betrayer. This is the same John that was in the company of the rest of the disciples when Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. So John, decades and decades later, is writing to this church community, this is what Jesus meant. This is what it looks like when you have this new commandment in your life and you love people like Jesus. So I want us to take a look at a few spots in 1 John. Here's the first one, 1 John 3, 16 through 18. John says this, he says, by this we know love that he, speaking of Jesus, laid his life down for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk. See John right here saying words are cheap, even back in first century. Let's not just love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth, Let's let our lives define what love is, not just our words. John here is, is laying it out very clearly. He's given us this commentary on what the new commandment is to love like Jesus. He says to love like Jesus is when he, he laid his life down for us, and now we go and we lay our lives, lives down for others. That's what it means. Look what he says in 1 John 4, uh, starting with verse 7. He says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not uh, know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. John's making it real clear here. When Jesus says, love people like I've loved you, John's saying, well, what did Jesus do? Jesus came and gave his life for us. Here in this text, he uses this word that may be strange to you. He says that God sent his only son to die for us, to be the propitiation for our sins. That word just means substitute. It just means he took our place so that we didn't have to die. Jesus died in our place. He was our substitute. 
and John goes on to, to basically give distinction for who people are who know God. Can I just ask you this question? What does your life look like? Is your life characterized by love? Do you love people? Do you serve people? Do you care for people? Or is your life characterized by judgment, by prejudice, by, by hatred, by bitterness? Friend, if that's you, you need to repent. You need to ask Jesus to forgive you so that your heart can begin to look like his. John makes it real clear. If there's hate in your life, you don't know God. If there's love in your life and you're living a life of love, then those are the people who are born of God. Look what he says in 1 John 4, 19. He says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And then he says, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. What John is saying here is the reason we can love people with a sacrificial love is because we've experienced it. We know it. When we uh, asked God to save us and change us, and we realized that the holy God of heaven sent his one and only son to be our propitiation, to be our substitute. When we believed that, when we accepted that and we asked him to forgive us, love came rushing into our life like we've never experienced before. And we've experienced that. And now because we've experienced it, we can give it. But you can't give it unless you know it. You can't give what you don't have. If you've never experienced that saving, sacrificial love of Jesus, how can you give it to someone else? Well, John says we love because he first loved us. John makes it really clear here. If you, if you love God, you're going to be a person who loves. If you don't know God... <laughs> then you probably don't have love in your life. You're going to be filled with hate. You're not going to help those in need. Jesus loved by service. He loved by sacrifice. He took our place on the cross, and that's the kind of love he expects from us. He wants us to live a life that is characterized by sacrificial love. Here's the thing, though. As I think about that, I can't help but think, how do we do that, God? If I'm being honest, you know, this is the 10th week in our series called Neighbor. And every week I keep thinking, Lord, I don't do that very well. I know I could do that better. Help me to, to change, to love that kind of person better, to love this kind of person better, to, to do this better. And, I, and it's no different today. When I see this, Jesus asking us to love like he's loved, even more I'm going, Lord, how? How do I do that? And sometimes you can even get discouraged and say, Lord, I don't, I don't even begin to know how to love like you. You know, I can't help but think about what today is. If there's ever a day in our calendar, a day of hope, it is today. Friends, can I remind you of the story that every gospel tells? It tells the story of, of women coming to the tomb of Jesus. They're followers of Jesus. Uh, they're friends of Jesus. They love him very much. And can you imagine how depressed and saddened and overwhelmed with uh, mourning they are as they slowly make their way to the tomb because honestly, they don't want to get there. They're, they're weeping. There's probably nothing being said between them because tears are just flowing down their faces. They're going to lay uh, spices on his body, his dead, lifeless body, they think. And no matter how long it takes them to get there through their depression and their sadness, they finally make their way to the tomb. And when they get there, the stone is rolled away. They step foot in that tomb. Jesus is not there. He is gone. And hope fills their soul. Hope fills their lives. 
Hope fills their minds and then they see the Savior and they're overwhelmed with hope. Friends, can I just remind you that in all these things we've talked about for 10 weeks, in everything that we talk about as believers in Jesus, you're not left to how good you can walk this life. You're not left to thinking, am I gifted in evangelism or discipleship? Am I gifted in this way or that way? No, that's not what I'm talking about. Friends, I want you to know like those women in that moment, we can have hope that blows our minds and opens up our lives to all kinds of service and sacrifice because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. He lives in you. In fact, this is how we love Jesus uh, and how we love people like Jesus. It's with that same power that raised him from the grave. Look what Paul says in Ephesians 1, verse 16. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you uh, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, which are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is, watch this, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Do you see that? The immeasurable greatness of, of his power, when he raised Christ from the dead, he moves that toward us. That power lives in us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Romans 8, 11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Jesus is giving you the hope. Jesus is giving you the power. Even in your mortal body, some of you are weary right now. Some of you are tired. Can I just tell you the resurrection power of Jesus lives in you if you know him? He gives life and power to your mortal bodies. Look what Peter said in chapter 1, verse 3, 1 Peter. He says, But blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Friends, we can have a living hope every day of our lives, no matter what we face. Even if you've had to walk through this virus and you've been sick, maybe, you, maybe you're in the hospital now. Maybe you have a loved one. I've had two loved ones that have passed away in the last week, two people that I call friends. And I'm very saddened this morning to even consider their death. But I'll tell you what, I have hope. You know why I have hope? Because of Easter. Because the same spirit of the living God that raised Jesus from the dead will raise them from their death. They are with him now. The power of God has overcome death and sin and the grave. And today we can have that same hope. Listen, as we've considered what it takes to be a neighbor for people, we've talked about it in different ways for 10 weeks now. As we said, when we love people, the way we love ourselves, or even more so now, the way Jesus has loved us, we're showing that we love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But you don't do it because of your strength. You love people because of the grace of God. Friends, we have no other hope. We're not good enough. We're not smart enough. We're not gifted enough to love people the way he's loved us. We have to love by his grace. We have to serve by his grace. 
We have to sacrifice by his grace alone. And when we do, when we love people that way, the world will know that we are his. Can I just encourage you this morning? Don't let fear cripple you from being obedient to Jesus in this. Jesus said, this is a new commandment. In other words, this is not an option. It's not a suggestion. Jesus says, do this. If you call me savior, then love people the way I've loved you. Friend, don't let fear cripple you in this moment. How can you love? What are the things that you can do to to begin to serve and sacrifice in ways maybe that you've never served or you've never sacrificed? What's something you can do right now? What's one way you can step up and love somebody with the sacrificial love of Jesus? Don't let this message just be my words. Don't let it just be a service that 30 minutes in your day, in your kitchen or your living room. No, let the very spirit of God fill your heart and life with his joy because you want to be obedient to his command to love the way he has loved us. And when you feel like, man, I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know where to start. I don't think I'm very good at this. And trust me, I feel that way a lot. Can I just tell you, we don't have to fear. We can have the hope of the resurrection because the immeasurable greatness of the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Because he who raised Christ dwells in you. Because you have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. We serve only by the grace of God. We sacrifice and love like Jesus only by his grace because we're empowered by the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. We're empowered by that spirit. Today we can have hope that God will give us all that we need to love him, be known by this world as his disciples, as a people who love extravagantly, who serve tirelessly, who sacrifice sacrificially. That's who we want to be. Can I just ask you this question this morning? What does it look like for you to love like Jesus? Just just take a moment. What what is it going to look like for you to love like Jesus? Is there somebody in your neighborhood? Is there somebody at your work? Is there somebody in your family that you need to reach out to? You know, a few years ago, a friend of mine called me and he said, "Uh, hey, there's a friend of ours that's really hurting and I was wondering if maybe you'd call him. Well, the, the problem is that friend of mine that he was speaking of, we, didn't, we weren't really on very good terms. I wasn't really happy with how he had treated me, and we were, had a sort of a broken relationship. But my friend said, hey, I, I know it's hard to maybe call him and encourage him, but if you do, I, I just want you to know it sounds like something Jesus would do. Man, I didn't want to make that call. I didn't want to sacrifice in that way. I didn't want to serve him that way but I knew that what he was saying was true. I knew that it did sound like something Jesus would do, and that's who I want to be identified with. And so I picked up the phone and I called my friend. What's going on in your life that you could do one thing this week that looks like something Jesus would do? Man, that's my challenge. I dare you to find the joy that Jesus gives us, the full joy of Jesus when we obey his commands and we love like him. Friends, I just want to ask you this question. If you're watching this and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, why not? This is a perfect opportunity to trust him. It's a perfect opportunity to say, Lord, I believe this story. I believe that you came holy and perfect and that you gave your life as my substitute. 
and I need you to forgive me. I need you to change my life. I need you to save me and help me to live for you the rest of my life. Would you help me? I repent. Would you just pray that prayer this morning? And can I just promise you, if you do, your life will never be the same. It'll never be the same. And Christian, if you're watching this, you're a Christ follower, just want to challenge you to learn to love like Jesus. This is a perfect opportunity to be seen as his, his followers, his disciples, because we love the way he loved in service and in sacrifice by the power of the Spirit. Friends, I want to close this morning with a benediction over you that comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I just want to pray this over you, and I pray that this will be a blessing to you. All praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the source of every mercy, the God of all consolation. Do not rely on yourselves alone, but put your trust in him. For the God who can raise the dead to life again will also deliver you. That is my prayer for you today. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for this opportunity to open your word. God, for this opportunity to remember the victory that we have in you, Jesus. You didn't lay cold and dead in in a tomb, Father, uh, forever. God, you gave life to that body. And you give life to our bodies as we live on this earth and even after we die. And so, Lord, I know there are people who are watching. They are mourning right now the death of loved ones. They are mourning the loss of people they have loved. Lord, I pray that you would remind them that if they knew you, Lord Jesus, that we could celebrate in the hope that we have of Easter, that you have defeated sin, death, and the grave, that our hope is in you and you alone. And God, I pray that that hope spills over into how we live and how we love like Jesus. Help us to serve and sacrifice so that we may be known as yours. We pray this prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Hey, listen, I just want to say thank you so much for watching today and being with us in our service. We would love to have you come and partner with us in mission at South City in Central Arkansas. And if we can serve you, just let us know how we will. Hey, listen, we're going to continue to worship right now. And we're going to talk about what it means to live out of a resurrected life, a life that's been changed and raised to walk in the newness of that life of Jesus. So continue to worship with us right now, if you will.
God has robbed the grave. 